Hey friend, welcome to The Ashley O Show. I'm your host, Ashley O'Connor. I'm a registered nurse turned health coach, and I am on a mission to keep people out of the hospital and into healthier lives than they ever thought possible. How? By getting back to the basics, prioritizing mental health, ditching diet culture, and repairing our relationships with food, fitness, and our bodies. Expect unfiltered, unapologetic, and unsugarcoated conversations about building lives, careers, bodies, and minds that are stronger than we could have imagined. The truth is, I don't have it all figured out, but I plan on spending my life searching for answers to the most important questions. This podcast is all about bringing you along for that ride. Now let's go chase some uncertainty. What is up, guys? Welcome back to The Ashley O Show. I am really excited that you guys are here for today's interview because we are chatting with Sarah from the Rapid Response RN podcast. I'm going to let Sarah tell her entire story, but in short, she is currently a rapid response nurse and educator. She has been in the ER. She's been in cardiac ICU. She's been a nursing professor. She's been a nurse educator. Like She has had so many different hats, but really seems to find her home in the rapid response space where she can teach and use her skills at the bedside. Beyond the bedside, Sarah has her own podcast called Rapid Response RN. You guys have to check it out. I'll put everything in the show notes. But this podcast is so incredible for the education side of nursing. She uses stories to help teach that critical thinking skill that's so hard to build up, takes so much time to build up. Like Sarah makes it fun. She makes it really exciting. In every episode, she breaks down the pathophysiology, the pharmacology, and the nurse's role in caring for the patient. I cannot recommend her podcast enough, and she's going to tell you all about how you can connect with her, but I just highly recommend that you do. You guys are going to love this conversation. I know I did. As an interviewer, this type of podcast is so easy for me because it just flows, because it's so easy to have a conversation. Sarah was so easy to connect with. You guys are really going to love her energy, and I cannot wait for you guys to listen in. Really, really quick before we dive into this interview, I just want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, which is Gut Personal. Now, you guys have heard me talk about Gut Personal before. I love pretty much all of their products I have tried, but I swear by their magnesium, which is named the Miracle Worker, their vitamin D drops, which I'm taking especially during the wintertime, and I love their probiotics, which is personalized to you. You can take a quiz, super easy, it takes less than five minutes to take the quiz and have a bundle personalized to you. So if you've ever had any gut issues, bloating, constipation, pain, digestive issues, skin issues, low energy, like I could name a million things, but typically the problem starts in your gut. I have personally seen so much improvement as I've started to consistently use these supplements over time where I don't have the same food sensitivities that I was having. I don't have the same symptoms that were unexplained. I don't have just random bloating in the middle of the day and pain that leaves me uncomfortable for the rest of the evening. I haven't had those symptoms. When I was just recently in Italy, I was able to enjoy dairy products without any issues at all after consistently taking these medications. My husband's been sick recently over and over, and I have yet to get sick because of some of these supplements. That's what I at least credit it to. And I would just highly recommend that you give them a shot. This is the perfect week to do so. We are entering into Black Friday week. So if you are listening to this in real time, starting November 21st, which is Monday when this episode comes out, it is Black Friday sales all week long. And using my code, 
TNC10, you'll save 15% this week on your order, which saves you just even more. And then on top of that, they're having gift bundles, they're having uh, stocking stuffers, their, their bundles in general are on sale as well. Like so many sales for you to take advantage of. This is the perfect time to try it. If you do try something, let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you're struggling with what to choose, also reach out to me. I'm happy to give any recommendations that might be helpful for you, but definitely go check it out. Follow the link in the show notes and use code TNC10 to save 15% this week. Now let's dive into the episode. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for chatting with our community. It is so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share my heart and my passion with your listeners. Yeah, awesome. Funnily enough, we have had a couple of like hiccups every single time we tried to have this interview. <laughs> so I'm very excited that we finally made this happen. Um, yes. To start, can you tell us a little bit about your nursing journey, kind of where you've been and what your story is in nursing? Sure. Well, it's long. So I've been a nurse for 18 <laughs> years, <laughs> almost 19 at this point. Um, so I started out as a new grad in the ER. Um, I actually did not go to nursing school with the intention of being an ER nurse. I wanted to be a nurse midwife, but I just fell in love with taking care of patients and families in crisis and what better place than the emergency room. So I uh, worked in the ER for many years. I was a preceptor and charge nurse, did lots of education and just, just loved it. Decided I wanted to go back and do some nursing education. So in grad school to be a nurse educator. All my instructors were like, you need to expand your horizons and see more areas of nursing. And so I went to the cardiac ICU, did that for a while. I was so humbled going from ER, kind of had that down pat, had all the certifications and then, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn at the cardiac ICU. But I really love that environment. And then I was asked to be on the rapid response team at that hospital. So I did rapid response for a bit. And then I finally finished the darn master's degree <laughs> as a nursing <laughs> educator. And I got a job as a nursing professor. Um, and I just love the students. I love teaching. I will say though, the the flow of it was so different to be doing rapid response all day and then just to switch into like office hours. It, it wasn't, I wasn't quite ready for it, but um, the students, oh, I loved it. I loved um, even like making curriculum and um, counseling them and guiding. I, I, I just really love teaching. And then I got asked to be the ER nurse educator at my hospital. I was like, oh, that's perfect. I get to teach and still be at the bedside. Perfect. So I did that for five years and then COVID hit. And I was like, you know what? I can't teach how to don and off PPE anymore. I've talked to I'm blue in the face about COVID and how to manage it. I just want to be in the trenches with, with my team. And so that's when I started a rapid response team at the hospital I'm currently at. So I am currently the rapid response supervisor, which I have like 10% of my role is managerial stuff like payroll and scheduling and that kind of stuff. But the rest of it, I actually get to respond to emergencies, which is my heart. I get to do lots of education at the bedside, you know, debrief after the codes, round with the crash cart, do you, I, all the things that I love. This is like the perfect job for me because it is responding to emergencies and it is critical thinking like in the ICU and it is education and I get to be friends with everyone in the hospital. It is just the perfect job. So that's where I am now. And then um, I did rapid response for a while and I was like, well, I miss being an educator. <laughs> so that's when I started my podcast. Um, 
the Rapid Response Run podcast, which every episode I share a real life story of a case that I went to, a real patient that was crashing. And then I break down like the pathophysiology and the pharmacology and the nurse's role in how to respond to this type of patient. So um, I get I get to do both. I get to be at the bedside and I get to education in my closet <laughs> with my <laughs> microphone making my podcast. It's been it's been a great season. Isn't podcasting great? I've I've enjoyed it so much. <laughs> it really is. Well, yeah. podcasting with regards to like making the content, love that. Editing sucks the life oh, yeah. out of me. But yeah. <laughs> making the podcast and interviewing people and even doing the research ahead of time to prepare myself for the episode, I yes, I definitely nerd out with that. And that's been it's been a, a big joy for me. Yeah. And and you guys definitely check out. Well, I'll put everything in the show notes, but definitely check out um Sarah's podcast because it is it's so good. And it's just like um, we sometimes on this podcast have done like case studies where I'll share I shared like about a patient or something and how mm-hmm. I dealt with them in the ICU and they loved those. So you guys are going to love Sarah's podcast. Definitely. Um, I'm curious, you said you started, you started a rapid response team at your hospital. How did you how does that yeah. happen? I don't even know. So I used to work for a hospital. It's actually double the size of the one that I work at right now is a big teaching hospital. Um, big trauma center. They had a very established rapid response team. The hospital I'm currently at, uh, it's about almost 550 beds. Great hospital. But historically, if the rapid response was called, they would pull the ICU charge nurse or the cardiac ICU charge nurse, and then they would have to leave their unit and go to rapid responses, which that worked enough for a while, only 550 beds, they made it happen. But then when COVID hit, that was impossible because there was just the acuity was so high and there were so many patients in the ICU, all of them were on the ventilator. Like everybody was just sick and it got to where it was almost just not safe for the ICU charge to be leaving the ICU to go to emergencies. And so that's where I went to leadership and was like, hey, we need to we need to start this team. We need to support the nurses in the hospital. You know, the other, the downside of having the setup where the ICU charge has to leave the ICU to go to the rapids is then the bedside nurses kind of hesitate to call. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to bother them. They don't want to take them away from other patients. They don't, you know, like so they would wait until it's really, really bad and then call the rapid. And I, and I totally get that. Right. Um, additionally, I imagine the charge nurses had a harder time being fully present at the emergency because they're worried about their ICU patients and their ICU team, right? And so to have a dedicated team where that's all we do. I don't have an assignment. My assignment is the entire freaking hospital. And so we round proactively to look for patients that might be nearing, you know, decline. Um, we, nurses can call us, we call it nurse consult, where they'll just like, hey, the vital signs aren't bad yet, but my gut says something's up. I don't like how they're breathing. Their eyes look funny. Their belly's growing. Whatever it is that's concerning to them, because where before they would wait until they had real hard data, like, okay, the blood pressure is 70 over 40. I guess they got to call a rapid. So now they're calling way earlier, they're like, hey, I'm concerned. And we have seen code blues in the hospital drop dramatically. Even at the height of COVID, code blues dropped dramatically because we were getting interventions early before the patient was crashing. So it's been really rewarding to start the team, to build it from the ground up, to choose who I want to be on the team, to train them well, and to like shift the culture of don't wait till it's bad. Don't feel bad for calling. Call early, call often. Let's get interventions for the patient. Let's advocate for them before they crash. And so that's been, that's been really awesome. So yeah, we started it from scratch. Um, would have been August, 2020. That's how long we've been doing it. 
That was a mess of a time. <laughs> August 2020. That was a time. Yeah. That was a time for sure. <laughs> well, and I imagine half the time the the charge nurses were probably in ratio too. I mean, they were at least yeah. where I was. And I can't imagine them having to leave their patients and have somebody yeah. else have to watch them. That's really hard. So that's, it I mean, is. it's so good that you guys started a rapid team. Um, so you said that you you picked and you kind of built the team. So mm-hmm. for those people who might be interested in becoming a rapid response nurse or they're interested in this idea, what what were you looking for when you were choosing your team, like the people that you wanted on it? Yeah, that's a very good question. So the minimal clinical requirements were um, had to have three years in either ICU or CBU um, and or ER. So emergency room or critical care setting three years. And you had to have your certification. So either CCRN, critical care registered nurse or CEN, certified emergency nurse, either one of those is acceptable. Um, About half my team's ER nurses, about half the team's ICU nurses, um, which is great because we both bring strengths to the table, right? So that's the minimal clinical. Oh, and one more. And they had to be a preceptor. So if you are not if no one wants you to teach in your own unit, then I don't want you trying to teach the rest of the hospital, right? So you have to be a good a good preceptor as well. But then for me, the clinical competence is about half of it. The other half is a personality type, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I've worked, and I'm sure you have too, with a lot of really great critical care nurses, like amazing clinicians, so smart, but they are so condescending mm-hmm. and rude and make everyone feel stupid. And that is not the kind of person that I want on my team because- if I were to show up to a rapid, a rapid response, and I make everyone feel stupid around me, like, why would you call me for this? Or this is stupid. Or you guys didn't know what to do. When I do that, well, that's harming future patients. They're not going to want to call in the future because they're afraid Sarah's going to show up and make them feel, you know, silly for calling. So their personality has been really important. Do you have the ability to build people up that are around you, to educate, to empower those that are around you rather than just make yourself look good or make them look stupid. That That's not what I want. Um, I also want to make sure that whoever we brought on, that they had the ability to spin things for the good. I didn't want some negative Nancy that's like, this is terrible. Every day is awful. I don't know why they make this work so hard, blah, blah, blah. That's just not, that doesn't help anybody. <laughs> so I wanted someone that could be like, all right, team, we got this. We can do this. We can face this challenge. We can handle this emergency. That's the kind of attitude that I wanted. And so I've been really fortunate to find those people within my hospital and then people that have come to us looking for um, that type of work environment. I'm really proud of my team. They're all such badass nurses and such uh, just awesome humans in general. So that's that's who makes up my team. Now, I don't know if other hospitals have that same personality requirement, but for my team, that's what I expect. <laughs> yeah. And that's not something you can, you can't like teach that. It's, it's kind of... Exactly. Based on experience and who you like your personality or I don't know, that's hard to find that type of nurse that has all of that. Um, and I, I I can imagine, yeah, you you don't want somebody negative around that type of environment when there's constant emergencies because I don't know, everything would be miserable all the time. Right. So I could see that 100% being exhausting. Um, so for those, so based on those minimum requirements, I know some of my listeners are newer nurses, but they may have this idea that they've wanted to become something like a um, on the code team or a rapid response nurse or something like that. So if they're just starting out, um, you know, they can get the experience, but what would you tell them? Like, what can they do to kind of prepare if that is their goal is to be in a position like yours? Good question. So I think that... <laughs> 
like everyone, hospitals always want you to get your certification because it makes them look good, but it's not the letters behind your name that has value. It's the hours you spent studying for that exam that really makes you a better nurse. So I would say, even though you can't even sit for the test until you've been a nurse for a year or two years, go ahead and start studying for it because, you know, nursing school teaches you so much, but what's on the NCLEX is not what's on that CCRN. And you will learn so much just in the process of studying that will make you a better nurse. You'll get back to the bedside. You're like, oh my gosh, how have I been a nurse for so long? I didn't know this thing that I just learned last night <laughs> when I was studying. So studying for a certification is really valuable. Um, I would say ask lots of questions. Like when the doctors are rounding, go be present. Listen what they're talking about when they talk about the plan of care. Ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. That's, I think, why I became such a good nurse so quickly is because I am not afraid to bug anybody with a question. Doesn't face me a bit if you roll your eyes at me. I want to, I need to know. I need to know for these patients, right? So ask lots of questions. Um, when I was a new nurse, I would keep a little notebook in my pocket. And anytime, now we have cell phones, so I guess you can keep a note <laughs> tab on your cell phone. But back in my day, when we did have cell phones, <laughs> I would uh, I just write down any diagnosis I'd never heard of any med medication or intervention or procedure that I'm like, what did they just say? I'd write it down and I'd go home that night and research it. So when I came back the next day, I was ready. If I, that same thing happened again. Mm -hmm. um, so keep a little tab of what you want to know and learn, you know, don't just show up, do your job and go home, be done, man. There's more learning that needs to be done for you to be fully prepared for any emergency. And as the rapid response nurse, Here's the responsibility you have. It's not just like, oh, I have I have this one patient that I need to know about this for today. Anything could happen. And when I show up, everyone looks to me as the resource. Everyone looks to me for the answers. So like, I am the resource. You really do got to know your stuff. You, know, you can't be like, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll call my preceptor or I'll, like, no, like you are the, you're the one. Um, it's, so it's a big responsibility, but taking time to study for those exams is really helpful keeping track of what you don't know and then making sure that you do know it. Um, and then if your hospital has a rapid response team, I would ask the shadow mm -hmm. um, because I think that's really valuable to watch the role, like really see what it's like to talk with those people to hear what their challenges are and what they love about it and make sure it's actually a good fit for you. Um, because there are really good ER and ICU nurses who would not make a good rapid response nurse just because the role is so different. It's not just like slinging epinephrine all day long and doing CPR. Like there's a lot of coaching and teaching and um, there's a lot more that goes into it. A lot of critical thinking. Like you go see a patient, like you know, some patients will track for three days in a row before a rapid response is ever called. And we know they're kind of moving their own direction, but there's not enough to really like Oh, it's time to move to ICU. So thinking big picture of, oh man, what's happening with their creatinine and why are their labs training this way and their breathing has changed. And like, there's a lot of things you have to think about. It's not all like, I'm going to do CPR all day. <laughs> it's not how it is at all. There are, there are definitely moments of that, but a lot of it is also like tracking patients who are declining and trying to move them, get them through the system in a way that's going to prevent a rapid decline, try to get them, get them better. Yeah. So did that answer your question? A hundred percent. And I, so as you're, as you're talking I know that those things like asking questions all the time, doing your own research at home, because nursing is all about it's lifelong learning. This is not mm -hmm. you don't just go to nursing school and then you got it figured out. Um, so going home, researching yourself, asking the questions, shadowing, putting yourself in those positions is exactly how you you also build that muscle of critical thinking mm -hmm. and of confidence as a nurse, which is not something that you just get overnight either. Like you have to it takes time, but it also takes 
that. It takes the confidence of even being able to just say that you don't know or be vulnerable in that way. Because sometimes people don't respond well to questions like that, which is unfortunate. But there's people like you that are such great educators. And those are the ones that I think we can find as new nurses, kind of cling to and come to you with questions all the time. Um, And that's why platforms like this, where there's a podcast that you can come to, we're not going to judge you. Ask all the questions you want. Absolutely. I love, I just love that advice. Um, And I guess with that, so one of the things you've you've kind of touched on a couple of times is trusting your gut as a nurse, which is again, something that takes time. Mm -hmm. I think like I know initially I did not, we we can't trust it immediately because things always feel like they're going wrong because it's terrifying sometimes being a new nurse. So like how, how would you tell nurses to learn how to trust that gut and trust that intuition? Oh, I really love this question. Um, so I think the biggest thing I learned in my first year as a nurse is that that little gut feeling that I had, it was right 99% of the time. And so I would rather follow that, advocate hard and try to push for something being done or looking into it for my patient even at the risk of looking stupid, then be like, I'm just going to blow it off. Because I blew it off a lot my first year. I was like, well, their vital signs are okay, but I don't know why I feel like this patient is sicker than their their vital signs are looking. And then come to find out, oh, they have an aortic aneurysm or they have something crazy (laughs) that I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it at the time. But then you know, eventually you start learning, okay, this little assessment finding, plus this little assessment finding, plus this little assessment finding, those together equal this is a really sick patient. (laughs) So I think that it's both um, knowledge, knowledge is power, like the more you understand about pathophysiology and patient presentations and um, the assessments that you should look, the more you have that knowledge, that will help uh, strengthen the desire to follow your gut, I guess. Uh, And then also just being okay with uh, possibly looking stupid and sounding the alarm for a patient that's actually going to be okay. I would rather, and I tell this nurses all the time, I would rather you say, I'm concerned, and then it not actually be concerning. Then you stay quiet, stay quiet, stay quiet, and then, oh, shoot, now the patient's asystolic or whatever it is. Um, oh, I'm sorry, my light just went out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think those are the big things. If I, if podcasts existed back when I was a new grad, Dude, I would have devoured those things. It, what a gift podcasts are because you can listen to them anywhere. You can constantly be a sponge and just soaking up knowledge. Dude, we didn't have Google whenever I became a new nurse. And so I had to like go to the library and look things up. Like uh, this is, it really is awesome how much information you have on your fingertips. You can even type in the search engine, whatever, Takasubo cardiomyopathy. What is that weird diagnosis? And you can find all the podcasts about it and learn about it. So Definitely having more knowledge does make you more confident. And then the more times that you take that step out and you advocate for your patient and you see that it made a difference in your patient, you are all the more empowered to do it again in the future. But I totally get it how new grads are like, I didn't want to call the doctor because what if it's not that big of a deal? I, I have been there, but I'm telling you, give it a year or so, the more times that you that you actually trust it, you'll be amazed with how spot on that intuition is. I feel like it's almost like God's gift to us is this intuition whenever something's going wrong with your patient. Definitely follow it. Don't be afraid to follow it. Yeah. I feel like most of the time it's right. Like something is off. Like we we do yeah. know, we have this knowing about our patients because we're the ones that spend so much time with them. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that we have 
I don't know that we pick up on these little things that give us that, that gut feeling. And I think, like you said, the important thing too, is when you do trust your gut and it turns out that nothing's wrong and patient's okay. Also just not taking that as a personal hit, like you shouldn't trust it. Like you should yes, keep that's good. trusting your gut because it's going to be right. You may be building that muscle, but at some point it's going to be right. So if you ignore it, that's when things are way more dangerous. Um, so I love that. Uh, so uh, back to kind of a rapid response. Um, if a nurse is calling a rapid, I've heard this a lot from from some of the listeners too, that they just don't know what to do once you guys arrive. So code team or rapid team arrives and they kind of freeze, you know, that nervous system kicks in, we all get yes. scared. And so we either fall into the fight, flight or freeze, but what can they do? What should they be prepared to do when you arrive just so they can have it in their heads and maybe act a little bit more? Yes. So I would say as soon as you're concerned for your patient, go ahead and call the rap response. If it turned out to be nothing, you can always cancel it, right? But I really just get us coming because it takes a while to like get across the hospital, get to the, up the stairs, whatever. Just get us on the, on our way. Um, and then once we show up, there's a couple of things that I would love to hear from the primary nurse. So if you are the primary nurse and you have to make the call, please make yourself very available. Don't go try to gather supplies or go try to just stay in the room and be present, delegate stuff to other people so you can be there to answer questions. Um, I'd love to know what the blood sugar is because so many conditions we can rule out with just, oh, it's a blood, it's a little blood sugar. So send the nurse tech to go grab a blood sugar, get a new set of vital signs so we can know um, what's happening right now with their vital signs. Um, and then be prepared to just give me a quick history, what they came in for, what's happened today, and then what concerns do you have? That really is it. You don't have to give me the whole report. Like they have been here for 22 days and they had this surgery and this, all these. I want to know just the real basics. And maybe later we'll delve into the other details. But just initially, I just want to know, like, what did they come in for? What's happened today? And what are you concerned about at the moment? Um, and if you have that stuff, we'll kind of take it from there. We may have more questions as we go along, but that's it. Some facilities like to have the crash cart at the bedside. So I don't know what your hospital's policy is. The benefit of having the crash cart right there, you can pop the patient on the monitor and we can see live what the rhythm is rather than having to call telly and see what rhythm they're in. You can just have it ready to go. So again, I'll defer to your hospital's policy on that one, but really just making yourself very available is, is the big thing. If your teammate calls a rapid, please run in and help them. Hey, how, what can I do for you? What mm -hmm. you need? You need me to get a set of vital signs? I'll go get the machine. You need a blood sugar? I'll help your team out so that they can kind of clear their mind. Um, Let's say you find a patient who's in cardiac arrest and you start compressions. If you are the primary nurse, I want you off the chest as soon as possible. Anyone else who comes in the room, please relieve the primary nurse from CPR. Even if they're amazing at it, <laughs> the primary nurse needs a minute to like catch their breath and be able to answer questions. And the questions are not going to be like, what did you do wrong? And what happened here? No, it's just, just a quick summary so we can kind of guide the diagnostic process. Um, I will say too, just to give some grace to all of you out there, it is so much easier to show up as a rapid response nurse and think level-headed, get right to the point, get right down to it. Because I don't know this patient. I haven't met the grandkids. I haven't cared for them for two days. There's no emotional part to it yet. I'm just showing up and thinking very analytically, very quickly. I can do that. When it's my patient, when I worked in the ER or the CVICU and my patient declined suddenly, it is so much harder to think clearly because I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Did I, did I get the wrong med? 
did I, mm. did I forget to do something? Did I miss it? What did I, you know, you're worried about what you might've missed rather than thinking clearly about what needs to happen from here. And you're also thinking emotionally, like, Oh no, but her grandson, <laughs> he's not here yet. Whatever the thing is that makes it emotionally hard to think clearly. So don't, don't beat yourself up. If you feel like you freeze, whenever the rep response team shows up, that is a common thing that I see. I go to hundreds of emergencies all the time. And a lot of nurses, I mean, the whole gamut of responses, they'll break out in hives, they're hyperventilating, I've had a nurse pass out before, like it totally happens. So give yourself grace. Um, whenever you feel like you're not performing at your peak, because you're worried for your patient, that's normal. Do you mind if I talk a little bit about the fight, flight or freeze response? Oh, yeah, please do. So um, we all know about it, right? The sympathetic nervous system. Um, even so when responding to emergencies, your body will respond just like if the emergency was for you, if that makes sense. So either you're going to fight and I've seen nurses get like really aggressive, like their voice gets louder and they get kind of rude, like, whoa, okay. <laughs> but that's just their fight response in this emergency. Um, I've seen nurses flight, which is where they literally run. I'm like, where's the primary nurse? I literally, we cannot find them. They're in the bathroom. They're in another patient's room because they feel so overwhelmed. They can't even stay and they run away from the emergency. Um, the most common response that I see would be freeze where nurses I'm asking the question. They're like, I'm sorry, sir, I can't, I can't even remember what they're here for. I'm like, that's okay. Just pull the paper out of your pocket. Let's just read off of it together. That's all right. Um, the freeze is a really, really common one. And, and again, all that is your body's normal reaction to stress. And it's okay if that's what's happening. That is how I started out as well. But I've learned that those responses that you have happening with your body, you know, like the dump of epinephrine and norepinephrine. So now your heart's racing and you're, you're breathing fast and your hands maybe are shaking a little bit. That response is actually your body trying to help you handle an emergency, you know, run away from the bear or whatever the emergency is, right? So whenever I feel that, even in myself, when I feel my heart racing, when I feel like I have to breathe a little bit faster, when I... I, all the time, my hands shake. I'll look down like, oh my gosh, my hands are shaking. When I feel that, I just remind myself, okay, this is my body kicking in. It's giving me extra ability to be even more amazing for this patient. Mm -hmm. You know, when your body jumps into that sympathetic nervous system reaction, even your vision is better. Like your hearing is better. Your ability to pick up on those little changes in your patient is more acute. And so you really are the best nurse for your patient. If you tap into that, you can also read those sensations as, oh my gosh, I can't do it. My hands are shaking. I can't do it. I'm breathing so fast. I can't do it. My heart tracing. I can't do it. No. Retrain your body as no. Okay. What I'm what I feeling right now, this is like super Sarah mode. I'm about to be amazing for this patient. So it's taking me years to train myself to get to that way of <laughs> responding to the sympathetic nervous system. But, um, I wanted to encourage you that you can get to that point too. So next time you feel that you're like, oh my gosh, my patient's crashing. Ah, okay. Take a minute. Think about what your body's doing. You're going to be even stronger to do that full two minutes of CPR. You're going to be even sharper to think about all the assessment findings that, that are coming into your, your system as you're watching you know, their chest rise and fall and touching their skin and doing your assessment. It will, you could actually make more sense of it even better whenever your sympathetic nervous system is empowering you. So um, don't let it tell, don't let your, don't believe the lie that I can't do it now because I'm breathing fast or because my heart's racing. Rather, I could really do it now. I'm going to be amazing because I have my body kicking in to help me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also with that, just know that you're not alone in those feelings. Like the most experienced nurse will 
their hands are still shaking. Their heart is still beating fast because we have to be able to respond to the emergency. If we're calm and I don't know, none of those things kick in, maybe we're missing something that you may, you may notice because you actually have your nervous system helping you. I think sometimes when we get complacent, it's far more dangerous than, than if you have that nervous system response where you're more alert, you're watching for things. I don't know how many times I've fumbled with a epinephrine, a box of epinephrine. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've like, my hands are shaking. I'm trying to the open box it. to the wrong side. Like, yes. it's not coming out. <laughs> always know because it's ripped in half. <laughs> but know that you're not alone when that happens to you. Um, mm-hmm. That happens to all of us. Even the most experienced nurses, it happens to them too. Okay. I love that. That is such good information. And I, so with that, as we were kind of talking it got me thinking about, we talked about how to prepare once you arrive, but what can we be doing before you get there? I think that's a missed opportunity sometimes when it comes to codes or rapids is we call the thing and then we just kind of wait. We're waiting for somebody to come, but we really should be doing things for our patients during that time. What can we do? Yes. Okay. So the answer is you actually already know it. It's just reminding yourself that you can do it. So the answer is airway first. Is my airway open and patent? Do I need to scoot the patient up in the bed because they're all slumped over and, you know, you got to open the airway a little bit. Are they choking on something? Do I need to get suction out and suction their mouth out or do the Heimlich? I have responded this year alone to three patients who were choking that ended in cardiac arrest. So like choking is a real thing. (laughs) Make sure they're not choking on something, right? So is the airway open and patent? That's the first one. A for airway. The next is breathing. And for breathing, I like to just simplify into two categories. Either your patient's breathing too much or your patient's breathing too little, one or the other. So they're breathing too much. (sighs) Clearly they are begging for more oxygen. Feel Mm. empowered to put more oxygen on your patient's face. And when I say more oxygen, I mean the non-rebreather mask. So get that thing out of the package, attach it to the wall at 15 liters and turn it wide open. They clearly ask for more oxygen. There's this misnomer that you could over-oxygenate COPD patients. And while that's true in the long-term, in the immediate moment when they're breathing fast to compensate, please help them out with oxygen. We can always wean down later. Okay. So if they're breathing too much, <laughs> give them more oxygen. If they're breathing too little, like you're trying to watch chest rise and fall and you're like, that's uh, like four <laughs> breaths a minute. So that patient doesn't just need oxygen. I see what gets wrong all the time. They're like, oh, let's put the number breather on them. Well, if they're not taking breaths to suck it in, they're only sucking it in four breaths a minute. That oxygen is not enough. That patient needs more than oxygen. They need more breaths. So we don't do mouth to mouth in the hospital. Go ahead and get your BVM, open it out of the package. Also attach it to the wall at 15 liters and actively breathe for your patient. So just to review, is the airway open and patent? Check. How is their breathing? Are they breathing too fast or too slow? And then intervene appropriately, either with a non-rebreather mask or with the AMBU or a BVM. And then finally, how is my patient's circulation? So sometimes that's very obvious. You go check a pulse. You're like, well, they don't got one. I have to circulate for my patient, right? I have to do CPR for them. But sometimes they're like talking to you. So clearly they have a pulse, right? Uh, I would say that's the moment you want to make sure you have access to the circulatory system. So pull out your flushes, check all your IVs, make sure they're working. It is way easier to discover now, like before the patient actually codes that the IV is not working, get a new one started, then wait till the patient actually goes into cardiac arrest when the veins go flat and it's very hard to get vascular access. So I would say that's the, if you, by the time you do those things, 
The rapid response team sure as heck should be there, right? Is the airway open and patent? How can I help their breathing, breathing, um, either with oxygen or brass growth? Uh, and then do I have access to the circulatory system? So check all your IVs, make sure they're working. And then as soon as we show up, you can say, hey, their airway is open and patent. We're helping their breathing with this and all, all the IVs are working. Or we found out that none of the IVs are working. If you can get that, Sarah, you got it. Um, but yeah, those are those are really important things. And obviously getting vital signs, getting a blood sugar, those are helpful too. But um, to go back to the basics, ABCs, we still teach it in ACLS because they're very important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in that moment, it's it's a taking taking a breath. You're gonna call the you're gonna call the rapid or call the code and you're gonna panic. Take a breath. And then go back to the basics. I think mm-hmm. we we all know these things, but we forget when we're in emergency because of that fight, fight, flight, flight, or freeze. Um, yeah. So back to the basics. ABCs we can all remember. So I love I love that. And with the um, the bag mass valve, like the thing that I always recommend too for you guys, if if you are listening and you're like, I don't even know how to put those things together. Get in on some someone who's using one, put them together, take it apart. I don't know. You can work with your educators too to play with those because sometimes they come apart and you have to put them together. Mm -hmm. And that's like the worst time when you're panicking and you're like, I don't know how to put this thing together. So play a little bit with those two. Um, And then maybe, I mean, if it works in your hospital, like you said, getting the code cart there is can be helpful too. Um, But I love that. The basics is always the most important. Uh, I'm realizing- a travel nurse and you- are just learning this facility, one of the first things you want to do is figure out where is the crash cart? Where is the code blue button? And where's my airway stuff? Is there an ambu hanging in every room? Do I have to go all the way to the crash cart to get it? How can I have my emergency stuff ready if my patient crashes? Because you never plan for it. You never plan for your patient to crash. It just happens. So you want to make sure from the moment you walk in that, the moment you get report that you know how you're going to handle whatever emergency happens in any room. Where's the where's the code button in every single room? Where's the BVM? Make sure you have what you need. Um, I go to a lot of rapids where there's no um, oxygen trees on the wall. I don't know why or where they go. Please make sure you have oxygen trees. <laughs> um, the flow meter is the technical word. Make sure you have a flow meter on the wall. So if your patient crashes, you have a way to give them oxygen. Yeah. And that's true for new grads too. I remember for so long when I first started, it's such an easy thing for us to forget because people, we go through the motion so much that we're like, oh, of course, you know where the crash card is. But it took I don't know, like a week or two for somebody to show me the things that I needed in the unit because I was brand new. And they were like, well, we're just jumping ahead to these working with patients. And, you know, here's a code. We'll go watch that. But you got to take a second to know where those things are. So if if nobody's shown you, ask someone and know, even if you think you should know, ask them so that you actually know, because that's the worst time to figure it out is that you don't know where the crash cart is or you don't know how to drive a crash cart. Is when there's a code. <laughs> None of us know how to drive a crash car. Those <laughs> things are horrible with steering. <laughs> they really are. They should really make them so much better. Um, I'm realizing as we're getting to the end that I haven't even uh, asked you one of the basic questions, which is what does a day in the life look like for a rapid response nurse? So for those of you who are listening, you're like, I just want to know what, I don't even know what you guys do during the day. <laughs> what is the rapid response nurse? <laughs> Oh, man, I love whatever lay people say, oh, you're a nurse. Cool. What do you do? I'm like, I'm a rapid response nurse. And they look at you like, hmm, uh, what is that? <laughs> so um, a day in the life of a rapid response nurse, it's different every day. We at our hospital at least respond to all the rapid response calls, all the code blues, um, all the stroke alerts, all the STEMI alerts, all the MTPs or massive transfusion protocol. What am I missing? I think that's all the things, all those things. Um, 
But when we're not responding to emergencies, we also like to prevent them. So we have the ability to pull what's called the MUSE or Modified Early Warning Score. Everyone has their own system, I'm sure, own process for that. But we'll pull the MUSE for the whole facility uh, and go proactively look at patients who are eh, kind of on the edge. So every time you take battle signs, the MUSE will give you a score. And patients who score three or higher will pull their chart, kind of look into them, and then possibly go see them um, and just ask questions to the nurse, maybe call the doctor and advocate for some sort of orders. Just try to get patients tuned up before they turn into an emergency. So we do proactive rounding with that, respond to nurse call or nurse consults, which is where the nurse is like, something's up, but it's not quite a rapid response. So you can, you can walk to this one. So like we run to rapid responses <laughs> and we walk to nurse consults. So that gives you an idea which one's more concerning. Um, again, very similar to the MUSE where we just kind of look at the patient, try to figure out what's going on and get interventions going to prevent the emergency from happening. Um, when we've done all the MUSE for the whole house and we've run it on every floor, there's nothing else going on, then we'll usually go to the ER, the ICU, and just be an extra set of hands and help out. Those two units are always so busy. The ER especially, they always need help with transferring patients to ICU or, you know, getting the airway in or starting up and whatever. There's always something to do. Everyone on my team, we definitely have the personality of we like to be busy. We don't sit still very well. And so we're definitely not just like sitting in the office waiting for emergencies to happen. We are out there proactively preventing them, um, helping on the ER, wherever we can be uh, of service to the hospital and to the patient. So every day is different. We get on average about um, maybe about five rapid responses a day and about five nurse consults a day. That gives you like, that's like, very average. Some days it's only five total and some days it's 15. Like some days are crazy. Um, so it just depends. And then every rapid response, how long it takes depends on what we discover, right? If it's like something very simple, like, oh, they had a seizure, we'll just get them some out of van and watch them recover and then we get to leave. But if it's a really complicated case and we're trying to figure out what's going on, I could be there for an hour or more at the rapid response. So every day is different, but we'd spend a lot of time um, in the ER, on the med search floors, transferring patients to the ICU. Um, and then if there's nothing else going on, like literally nothing, then we'll take the crash cart and we'll round with the crash cart and do education with that. Just teaching people how to use a defibrillator and the contents of the crash cart. So every day is a little different, but it's all things that I love. I love preventing emergencies and I love responding to emergencies and I love teaching. So win, win, win. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that there's so many nurses that have have reached out and they love ER, they love critical care, but I don't think a lot of us think about rapid response, but I, it's such a cool mesh of all these different areas that you get mm -hmm. to do so many things. And that education piece sounds so fun as well, because I think so many of us love to educate and that's mm -hmm. a great, great role in that sense. Well, Sarah, I feel like I could, we could probably talk about this stuff forever. If you guys... <laughs> are listening right now and you heard all the other things that Sarah has done too and you're interested in those things, let's bring Sarah back. So let us know if you're interested in that because I would love to talk about all your other experience too because I think that so many people would resonate with that and love to hear from you. And if obviously you can go to Sarah's podcast as well. So definitely run over there and listen. Um, but in general, where can we, where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? How can we work with you a little bit more? So definitely check out my podcast. It's called Rapid Response RN and it's on every podcast platform. Um, I have an Instagram account, which is the Rapid Response RN. And I just started a TikTok, <laughs> which is the same handle. 
Oh my gosh. I just feel like such an old lady on TikTok, but um, it's been fun. The comments are definitely interesting on TikTok. <laughs> um, I have a Facebook page, a uh, rapid sponsor and podcast, which I barely check, to be honest with you. Instagram's the best way. If you want to like reach out to me, Instagram's the best way. I'm on Instagram all the time. Uh, and then I just released a course, actually. It's called Rapid Response and Rescue. It's just one hour. It's accredited by the AACN or the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. And it's basically just an introduction to how to respond to emergencies. So how do you handle yourself? What are you looking for in the patient? You know, there's you learn this whole full body assessment in nursing school, but like, what do you assess for when your patient's crashing? What's the most important thing? So I kind of make a, a, a mindset for that, like a framework for how to do that, a very quick 20 second assessment that I do every single time, how I approach every emergency. Um, so that course is available at www.rapidresponseandrescue.com. Or if you go to my Instagram, there's a link for it. Um, let's see here. That's probably the best ways to get a hold of me. I have a Gmail account, but I don't really, share, <laughs> really need to share that. I hear you. I haven't gotten, I haven't quite gotten to TikTok yet because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of it. Oh <laughs> my gosh. I'll just take should a be. page from you and just it do it. It's <laughs> a different world. Um, it is a different world. My kids are showing me how to use it. I have teenagers <laughs> and they're very proficient with the TikTok, but I'm like, this is just the wild, wild west. I tell you. <clears throat> oh, that's so funny. I will put all of that in the show notes, um, including the link for you guys to take that course because I think any of us can benefit from it. So definitely run over there and do that as well. Um, and then lastly, what message would you like listeners to walk away with today from this episode? Hmm. So I think the number one message of my life that I want nurses to hear is to trust your intuition. I feel like it's a God-given thing. If you're concerned for your patient, make everybody else concerned too, even if even at the risk of feeling stupid. And that if you want to really be best for your patient, then you have to keep investing in yourself, taking care of yourself, you know, on your days off, even on your days on, make sure you go to the bathroom, make sure you eat, um, and then keep developing yourself so you can be a better nurse. Keep listening to podcasts and taking courses and studying on your days off because your role will be even more rewarding when you really know what's going on, you know, when you're just like barely staying afloat, it's just exhausting. But when you're like, man, today I see someone's life because I recognize their decline. That is what makes your day worth it. Right. So kind of try to look past the task of nursing and see the human soul that you're caring for. That's what's going to keep you going back to work every single day. That's why I leave my family and go to the hospital for 12 hours because I know I have an opportunity of really making a difference in a patient's life and a family member's life. So um, keeping that at the core of your mindset um, will help you stay in the profession and keep loving what you're doing. Yeah, I love that. Well, th Sarah, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This was such an easy conversation. Sometimes interviews, I feel like you got to kind of pull things out of people. But I feel like, again, we could probably talk forever. Probably. Um, I'm a talker. <laughs> me too. Uh, so thank you so much for, for being here with us. Absolutely. Thank you, Ashley. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. And guys, if you loved this episode, please share it on social media. You can tag both Sarah and I. And we will thank you and pour into you. Any questions you have, please reach out to us. Um, but again, thank you, Sarah, so much for being here. And we will see you guys next week. 
Thank you so much for allowing me to take up a little bit of your brain space today. Like seriously, it means the world to me. If you connected with this episode, it would be amazing if you could share it with your friends and tag me at Ashley Osho so that I can personally thank you. That way, we can build an army of badass women who believe in themselves that will take the world by storm. I cannot wait to see what we make possible.